Welcome to the podcast edition of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. I'm your host, Pat Braden, broadcasting to you over the virtual airwaves from the Love Shack studio here in the heart of Old Town Yellowknife Northwest Territories. Now, I'm a bass player, Chapman stick player, singer-songwriter, and I've been playing music throughout the North since about 1977. As a young musician, I was caught up in the explosion of popular music in the world through the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. As I got older, I thought there must have been the same thing happening up here, just in a different place and on a different scale. So in 2003, I started to interview the older players who taught me most of what I know today, and many more musicians that I'd only ever heard of. My intention was to have an accessible and free place where anyone could go to learn about these players, and the musical times and the lives that they lived. Over the years, I've collected 30-plus interviews and created an archival website at www.musiciansofthemidnightsun.com. Some of these interviews are quite long, so I wanted to bring the core of their stories to a more accessible format. So I created this series of podcasts to continue the celebration of the musical lives of these northern musicians who performed in northern Canada from the 1950s through to the mid-1970s. Thanks for tuning in. Please send any questions and comments to me through this website. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. When I first started gathering interviews for this project, Guitar players like Tony Buggins and George Mandeville mentioned Peter Lafferty as an inspiration when they started out. Tony Buggins remembers using a comb as a pick when he backed up fiddlers, just so that he could be heard. Then Peter came along, playing in the finger-picking style of Chet Atkins and Hank Snow. Tony and a few other players picked up on that technique and ran with it. George Mandeville, from Denny Quay, Fort Resolution, credits Peter Lafferty as a large influence. I get to play with George every once in a while, along with his son and fiddler extraordinaire, Lee Mandeville. George has merged that finger-picking technique with his strong rhythm guitar playing into a style all his own. As a bass player, I'm usually looking at the guitar player's left hand for the chord changes. Playing with George, I feel like a dog chasing his own tail trying to keep up to him. Nick Sibiston from Lidley Quay, Fort Simpson, remembers growing up with Peter and the Lafferty family, who Nick is related to. Many of the Lafferty family were very musically talented and hold a long-respected lineage of music history and Métis genealogy in the North. I was able to track Peter down in Whitehorse, Yukon Territory to interview him. He is a humble, soft-spoken man when it comes to talking about his musical life. From a young age, Peter traveled around the country, worked jobs, and played music on his off hours with the local players, in whatever town he was working in. As a young man, Peter worked for the Power Corporation, installing electrical utilities in northern communities in the early 1960s. One of those communities was Deninuque, Fort Resolution, where he played music with Angus Bolio. Some of those sessions with Angus were recorded, as were earlier sessions with the Lafferty family back in Lidlique, Fort Simpson. It is really quite amazing to listen to the high quality of their musicianship in these recordings. Peter left the North in the 1960s, worked and traveled as a professional musician in bands and as a solo performer, 
until the early 1970s when he landed a job with the White Pass Freight Company and steady gigs as a musician in Whitehorse. As Peter puts it, working 11 days a week, six days in the bar, five on the job. Peter Lafferty lives in Whitehorse and still plays his guitar today. See, I, yeah, you mentioned uh, Buggins and uh, some other... I never got to know these kids because they were a lot younger than me, you know, and... Uh, but, uh, see, they're, they're from the Resolution area, eh? And I went there working on the power line uh, when the, they were setting up the power commission in, in Fort Res, and I was stringing line, you know, uh, okay. climbing poles at the time. Um, yeah. They kind of talk about that time, too, because they maybe it was you that did it, but uh, they left behind a whole bunch of copper wire. Really? And so what they did was they, they thought, okay, well, this is an antenna. So they went out and they cut up a whole bunch of trees and they made tripods and they ran this wire as, as far as they could and then hooked it up to the antenna on their old battery-powered radio. No they, kidding. They were able to pick up Memphis. And, and oh, wow. Depending on the <laughs> weather conditions and everything like that, because that's one of my questions is, how do you how did you guys get your music, you know? And it was like, well, there's this radio and there's this <laughs> car battery and... Remember, like somebody coming through some construction crew, and they just put up this antenna and hooked it up to the radio. Wow. So yeah, no, beautiful. Those stories to me are magical. Like, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I, I was probably seventeen or something. I was no foreman or nothing, just climbing and stringing, stringing as much as we could every day. Yeah, just a job. Yeah, for sure. Well, it, it got you places there. And I and of course I was I had a guitar with me so in the evenings I'd always Angus I was I think I was staying at Angus place maybe so the kids would drop around and I guess uh, maybe uh, Buggins and these guys because I I never got to got to meet them or know them or no nothing eh? and uh, never heard them actually play even Herbie I never heard Herbie play guitar believe it or not my my nephew he was fifty when he died. Yeah, never got to hear. And I got a chance to actually record with Herbie and Ed oh, um, in wow. a studio going way back. Okay. Yeah, huh. I was really lucky to be able to play with those guys. Oh, wow. But again, that's one of the main reasons that I'm doing this is um, I just recognize that there's uh, as rich a history up here, you know, with, yeah. with what was going on musically mm -hmm. when all of those music started to come north and people like yourself were going back and forth down south mm -hmm. yeah and, and playing and then coming back up north and bringing that music and like you say going and influencing the Tony Buggins and the and all of these other younger players too and and just yeah. you know for the record when uh, um, I got a hold of you I got your number through George uh, Mandeville Oh yeah, and whenever I play with George, I'm chasing my tail, trying to keep up to him huh. and what he does when he's playing behind his his son Lee, and then oh. I, I kind of go, George, man, your, your guitar playing is amazing, you know, and huh. and the first thing he says is your name. Wow, but uh, no, your influence on their playing. I mean, you were you were the guy to to match or to aspire <laughs> to. So I knew I had to get a hold of you. So I said. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's 
nice to hear. But yeah, for sure. So, uh, so you were born in Simpson. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. What year were you born? Sorry, I'm just for the. 1941. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I'm the youngest boy in the group, and there's two younger, or three younger sisters than than me. We was a family of five and five. Uh, five boys, five girls. Very traditional community, probably, at that time, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. And my dad was quite a, quite a fiddler, too. I used to like to listen to him and whenever whenever they would play. And uh, Uncle Philip, he was really good. And, uh, yeah, I think Henry played a little bit, too, but never heard, never really heard him. I guess they must have learned their, their fiddling from their dad. But I never, never heard anything about about him being a fiddler. But he died with, during the big flu, hey, in the, what was it, 1920s? Wasn't an old man when he died. He, and Joe Villeneuve, my other grandfather, he was, uh, he was uh, quite a fiddler, a Métis fiddler. They would have got their fiddle music. Obviously, you're you're on the river, and there was boats going by. That was the highway, right, for the north, and so... Yeah. Grandfather Villeneuve, I think he came from St. Albert in Alberta, eh? Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, and I, he brought his fiddle style with him from, from there, I believe. And he came north, to, settled in Fort Simpson. Worked for the Catholic Church there, the missionary, and looking after, after the animals. They had a... A little bit of cattle, horses, and oxen back in those days. Wow, um, and, they and he they was the livestock back there then. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. He was looking after the farm. Again, yeah. no roads. It's just it's just all boats, <laughs> river traffic. Yeah, that's it, eh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So their influence would have been mostly uh, French, Quebecois, or would it have been a Scottish thing? I think it would be the French, yeah. Uh, yeah, especially in that part of Alberta that he came from, just north of Edmonton, I think. I'm sure you're familiar with that uh, Drops of Brandy book. They talk about all the, the old Métis fiddles. I got the... The CD. I thought maybe if you were interested, I might hand it to you, and you'd get more use out of it than I. <laughs> yeah, they got two CDs in here. Oh my goodness, look at that book. Yeah, you might be quite interested. They talk about the about my grandfather in there, and they never mentioned Dad and Uncle Philip. I don't think. But they had never done any recordings. I don't think this is this is my brother uh, Morris. Eddie and myself. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. So we'll just, I guess, pick up the story here. Like I say, you can get you can get lost in the traditional roots, the music, and you know, if I talk with uh, Wally Firth from uh, from up in the Delta, it was mostly Scottish stuff because oh, yeah. it was all the guys coming over from the Hudson Bay Company to build the outposts there, right? And so yeah. they, were, they learned the Scottish thing. Yeah. And so that part has always been fascinating to me. It's just 
the mixture of, mm. of the French and the, and the Scottish up yeah. north as far as the fiddling goes. And, and again, coming to you, that would have been the first music that you would have heard, right? Yeah, probably. Uh, and uh, Mum had, had an old wind-up gramophone when we was kids, so I used to hear, uh, hear some old uh, Wolf Carter and <laughs> Jimmy Rogers back in those days. And then along came Hank Snow, and that's where I got my influence to just try to pick a melody on the guitar. You know, Hank Snow had quite a style there, flat top picking. Eh? And Hank Williams, of course. Well, of course, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah sure. uh, so, yeah. so in between, in between that, you got a guitar in your hands somehow. Yeah, yeah. My older brothers, they had a couple of guitars in the house and kind of wore them out. I don't know. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, and my uh, cousin George, George Villeneuve, he strummed the guitar and sang a little too. So. Used to listen to those. Brother Frank used to sing pretty good in those days, and he played the fiddle a bit too. And Bob played played a little fiddle. Morris and Eddie were the were the real fiddlers in the family. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you would have been would have been playing the old. I had to strum. Yeah. yeah I had to strum the guitar for them. Okay, so <laughs> you were working. Yeah. What What age do you think you had a guitar in your hand? Oh. Uh, 13 probably 13, 14 yeah and learning obviously the traditional fiddle tunes and, and, and backing up the, the, the traditional Métis yeah. tunes yeah yeah and uh, I never never learned to play the fiddle I, I tried a few notes but I couldn't make it I couldn't make a sound out of it no way no this must be quite a trick to learn that instrument I think it's a bit of a calling. I've, I've tried to do it. I just put it down. It's going to go, no, it's somebody else's job, that one. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and also playing playing the Wolf Carter tunes and the old country tunes and yeah. stuff like that, too. Yeah. yeah. Still no road into, into Fort Simpson. Still, still no road. I think it was, uh, oh, good grief, it was, it was in the 60s. I don't even remember when, I don't remember when the road came through. It was a winter road for years, quite a few years, eh? Yeah, yeah, that's what they would have done for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I was, I was asking, so if you break a string, like you know, how did you even order? Oh, oh, order strings? No, we didn't have to order strings. The old Andy Whittington always had some in his store. Andy Whittington had a general store there, and there was a Hudson Bay. Yeah, and they carried fiddle strings and and guitar strings. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Back when I was a little kid, Black Diamond. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Your schooling would have been right, right in Fort Simpson. Yeah. Right yeah. I never, never went to the residential schools. Although a lot of, a lot of kids were, being taken out of town and going to Providence at the time, eh? and, like uh, even Nick, Nick Sibison was, was one. Yeah, but our family, we just stayed in, stayed in Simpson at the public school. Well, we first started out in the, in the 
a Catholic school. Well, there, there was a Protestant school and Catholic school. And then, uh, and then the public school, we went into public school. And I went there and I worked two years on grade eight and couldn't get past it. <laughs> couldn't get past it, so that's where I quit and went to work. I was almost 16. I think I was still 15 when I started to work for the Northern Canada Power. Yeah. There would have been lots of work at that time. Uh, yeah. Power lines. Yeah. And yeah. And I went into work in Fort Smith for a while and then Resolution. So you talk about the, you know, uh, going and when you were putting power lines into Fort Resolution and hanging out with Angus and getting to meet some of the other players there. Uh, in, in Fort Smith as well. Um, do you remember some of the players there? I don't remember their name. It's, uh, Nick Nick was going to school there at the time, so he had a few, couple of friends, but I don't remember them. Oh, and there was another friend of mine, uh, David Rako. His dad was a manager at the, at the airport, so he sort of started playing the guitars and trying to sing Everly Brothers at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 57. I think it's, yeah, I think it was 57. So, I was 16. That music would have been coming to you via radio? Uh, record. Records? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, by, by that time the LPs had, had come out, hey? And you would be able to get those at the store as well? Would, would, would yep. they, they would bring in records? Yep, the, the Hudson Bay would have the records. Uh, you know, they try to get the latest that's coming out. All the old country that's coming out at the time, I don't know, I can't even mention them all. The Jim Reeves, Don Gibson. Of course, yeah. Hank Snow was always big on my books. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Uh, while a lot of the other guys were probably learning rock and roll by that time too, eh? And, but it's funny, I was just stubborn. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to to even like it or try to learn it. I don't know why. It just <laughs> stuck in my old Hank Snow rut, yeah. And that's that's where I stayed most of my life. I guess it was kind of too bad. Never gave myself a chance to learn. <laughs> and then uh, Chet Atkins was coming out at the time, and I tried to pick up some of his stuff as much as I could. It's a, quite a different style between the two. Eh? They actually done an album together. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Chet Atkins and Hank Snow. So, doing mm -hmm. that finger picking style definitely came into the jazz world. Those guys were almost sort of crossover players, right? in what they were doing in the country field, they were almost playing jazz. Oh yeah, oh for sure. And, and, and yeah, you yeah, the guitar were, players. Yeah. We're, we're picking up all of those tricks too off of, uh, off of the country guys and vice yeah. versa, which is the beauty of it. Hmm. It's a lot of work to get to, to learn it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and to get it fluid yeah. and then learn the repertoire. The way they teach now on a Facebook is just amazing. You can learn so much and so fast. And myself, I had to I, I, I tell you how hard it was to learn a tune. Had to run down to the restaurant with my change in my pocket. And <laughs> it's it's a, close to a mile down there of a walk. And uh, listen 
over and over again a certain tune and then run back home and try it on the guitar. <laughs> oh boy, it wasn't easy. Yeah, we always uh, had our own guitars and then Morris bought himself a Harmony flat top but uh, electric. That's the first electric guitar I ever heard. And it was years and years in the 60s before I finally bought myself my own electric Gibson. As I was working for the Power Commission, I went through a couple of Gibson flat tops, so that they were pretty nice guitars. So again, you're in your sort of mid to late teens in the 50s, and you're out doing work for the Power Corporation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How long did you do that for? Probably four years, maybe five, I don't know. And then I decided to go to Alberta, I guess, and see what I could find out there. Didn't play any, didn't find any any music <laughs> to, didn't find anybody to play with or anything. Just worked on jobs to stay alive. Had a sister there, she let me board at her place, fed me in. I was lucky there. Yeah, so worked uh, different jobs in the car wash and, and uh, cement factory. That was quite a <laughs> quite a <the> deal. <laughs> I'm lucky I'm still alive after all that dust, I guess. <laughs> Rough jobs, yeah. yeah uh, for sure. Would that have been in the city or? Uh, in the city, yeah. In Edmonton? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I came back north and wound up coming to, to the Yukon. Found a job uh, working with White Pass here in 67. Yeah, 67 I worked for White Pass. And then I quit. Because there was a band passing through. That's uh, the guy on this picture here. That yeah, he was he was passing through and happened to need a guitar player. So, all right, here we go. And then wound up in Ontario. Played with them there for a couple of years. And then decided to strike out on my own. Played with different different bands and formed my own. You know, as we went. Usually I had a trio, drums and bass. I'd done a lot of singles, travel from town to town, you know, and uh, just walk in and check out the hotels. That's how we used to do it back in those days. The last trip I went out there to, to Ontario, I got an agent in Toronto and he was booking me around. You never know what you're going to wind up in doing uh, some of those gigs. One time I had to... It was a place they had go-go girls. They had two go-go girls, and here I come in <laughs> with five flat top and little PA system. <laughs> I'm supposed to make these go-go girls dance. Oh, good grief, he sure screwed up there. <laughs> I don't think I, I... I took his bookings after that one. I just did my own. <laughs> good grief. <laughs> so this would all been on, all in Ontario? Yeah, and uh, I played a little bit in Edmonton after that, in Edmonton, Cal Calgary. Just a few little hotels there. Yeah, Ontario was pretty nice. St. Catharines, and I played St. Catharines, London. There's more towns than I can name. Niagara Falls was nice, uh, tourist town. Stayed for a month there in a little hotel and sing at night. And easy living. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> yeah, nice lifestyle. And the gigs paid okay. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, they uh, paid good. Well. Yeah, always managed to have a pretty good car. But I probably drank up a couple motorhomes. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Were you checking out any of the other music that was sort of happening in Ontario or? Oh yeah, well, I'd stop into other bars and listen to these guys. My God, they're just too advanced for for, for my old style. You know, I just used to play the small little junky hotels and. <laughs> Well, they're not all so junky, I've been in a few nice ones too, and they they seem to be okay with that, with my old stuff. But it must have been like, at that time in Ontario, like full-on rock and roll. What's his name? He's from Georgia and lives in Toronto. He was he was a big rock and roller, and yeah, he settled in Ontario. Oh, I can't remember his name, uh, and uh, Robbie Robertson was working for him for a long time. Ronnie Hawkins. Ronnie Hawkins. Yeah, he was the big thing going on there. Holy crap. Another guy would draw the crowds was Stomping Tom. Oh my God. Stomping Tom Connors, he could fill the places. <laughs> so that, there was a lot of stiff competition. But <laughs> uh, I was, yeah, I was just going to say that strip, I can't remember the name of the street, but they talk about it in the cock door and uh, all of these huge rooms and, and you could just walk out of one and into the other and there's just these amazing players and they're all, oh, yeah. they're all there. It just seemed to be a really exciting time. I don't know if that rings true or maybe I'm still glamorizing. Well, it's, it's true, but, uh, but I, uh, you know, I just walked by it and just did my own little thing. Playing yeah. the, the country standards of yeah. the day in that Chet Atkins style and, yeah, yeah. and those country songs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you went back out to Alberta, was it a little bit more country friendly there or other country players? Yeah, I guess it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although they, they have their, their jazz, a lot of jazz in Calgary. What? made you make the move from Ontario to Alberta just to change? Yeah, I guess I, I wanted to get back in the north, so I always knew I could come back to this job here at White Pass, and that was pretty good-paying job, you know, and working in the freight department and delivering freight. Settled down and got married, and bought two or three houses, settled down in the last one and stayed there for 20 years stayed at the job for 20 years and now all the time I was on this eight to five job I was playing bars during the night so <laughs> working 11 days a week six days in the bar five on the job yeah I came back 69 started playing uh, different bars here well like this one place tour services and then there was the the bamboo what they later called the Roadhouse Inn. You might remember that little place. Uh, oh. <laughs> I was like eight years old. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> so, what other places or rooms would have been here in, in Whitehorse at that time? Well, there was the White Horse Inn going strong. The Canucks were there. You heard of the Canucks, I'm sure. And the Copper King was going at the time. Yeah. Wow. Uh -huh. That, that really... Yeah, and I always had my little trio and 
we done we done good we held our own yeah this place sounded pretty magical in the 70s so i can see as good as you were doing down in the, in ontario or even alberta that way yeah you know later on that to be able to come back up here and have that day job and then go and play at night that's mm -hmm. not an opportunity that a lot of musicians have that way that's for sure uh -uh. No, I would have starved to death, I guess, if I had to just rely on music. Way back then. Certainly no family. Yeah. Did you bump into other Aboriginal Indigenous players? I met the, the Mighty Mohawks once. Yeah, they were a rock and roll group. They very popular. Yeah, quite an impressive looking group. All five big tall guys. Yeah. <laughs> Were they dressed up in like buckskins oh, 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 and yeah. dresses and yeah. stuff like that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So mm -hmm. it almost sounds very much like what the Chieftains were doing. Oh yeah. yeah. When you were coming back from Alberta, was there any any draw, any desire to go back home to Simpson? Uh, not really to stay, I guess, but it made this uh, made this place my home, and that was it. So. Yeah. So. I have to ask this question, and you can confirm it or deny it. Legend has it you were asked to play with a, a famous country artist. Dave Dudley came up to do a dance with a transportation association, and he needed the band, so we backed up old Dave when he came up. One of the guys had two or three albums of his, you know, so we listened to his style and trying to figure out what he might be doing. So we backed him up, and at the end he says, uh, I played a lot of places with local bands, but you're the best I've had so far. <laughs> I learned his style in a few of his songs earlier, you know. I used to sing uh, Six Days on the Road myself for years. Yeah, so I, I never did play anywhere else except Simpson. That's the only place I ever done any dances with, with my brothers. That was it. Uh -huh. Nothing in Providence or up and down the river no, or anything like that. Just no, just uh, just a house parties type of thing. <laughs> never, never no dance. Never no official dances. From what the other guys were saying, it's like it was it was it was house parties. They didn't even have like a community sort of rec hall. Did that happen in Simpson too? Uh, no, we always seem to have a dance hall. Oh, okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. one old hotel there. Uh, ever since I've. I can remember it's been a dance hall in town. Later on, the school gymnasium, whatever, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just use those, yeah. 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 Akecho Hall in Yellowknife was, I think, built around 61 or something like that. Did you mm -hmm. ever... I never spent any time in Yellowknife. Been there, been there, but never spent any time. Yeah, I don't know. There was nothing going on there after... I don't know what the hell happened after I left... I don't know if Morris kept on playing or what, but he had a brain tumor operation and then got, was paralyzed on the right. I can't remember what year that happened, but then there's a couple other singers in town, I guess, like uh, um, Frederick Hardesty. He was a pretty good singer. He played with us mm -hmm. as well. But can't think of anybody else. Mm. No. Small town, very yeah, small. Yeah, for sure, yeah. small town. Yeah. And it's still a long ways from, 
from Providence, like I'm, I'm just sort of thinking river and that's a long trip. I mean, it's not something that you would <laughs> sort of just yeah. go from, from one community along the river to the next, to, you know, to just sort of go and play a gig or anything like that. So Yeah. No. There was no traveling like that around. Are you still playing today? Just last Friday, we played a bar in uh, Porter Creek, Whiskey Jacks. We got a four-piece group going. All East Coasters that I'm with now. Got a fiddler. Fiddler from PEI. He's pretty good. And a drummer from Newfoundland. And a flat top player. And he sings from New Brunswick. So When the fiddler comes on, I take the bass. And, uh, and then otherwise, I lead for the rest. Yeah. Oh, I see you got your fingernails... Well manicured there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you take care of your fingernails. That's, uh... Yeah, this is short. I still don't have my, my calluses back. I just don't, don't play enough. I gave it up for 20 years, probably. Yeah, just didn't play at all. And I had sold my guitar, my electric, and finally bought another one that I'm not very happy with, but that's all I got. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to get out of this music thing, but they won't let me. They won't let you, eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I don't know. Why do, you, uh, why do you feel like you want to get out of it? Or? It's time to retire, my God. Yeah? getting old and tired. I would like to thank Peter for sharing his rich musical life story with musicians of the Midnight Sun. To hear more, see photographs of his life, and the full interview transcript, check out musiciansofthemidnightsun.com, linked in the show notes. You can follow along as well on Facebook and Instagram. If you would like to support the continuation of this project, please donate it on our website, musiciansofthemidnightsun.com. I would like to thank the City of Yellowknife Heritage Committee and the Northwest Territories Creative Industries Economic Recovery Fund for supporting this podcast series and to thank the Northwest Territories Arts Council, Government of the Northwest Territories, Department of Education, Culture and Employment, the Yellowknife Community Foundation, and the City of Yellowknife Heritage Committee for supporting the website so far. A full list of supporters can be found on the website. The archival audio of this podcast is from the Northern Musicians Project Collection at the Northwest Territories Archives. I'm Pat Braden. Thanks for listening.